Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. Futurist and Futurity CEO Jack Bobo was with us back in June of 2020 when we were only beginning to come to grips with the meaning of the term pandemic. We wanted to know then what sorts of behaviors and trends peculiar to the COVID-19 crisis he was observing, and so much has happened since then. Jack is back to update us on trends in food and farming. Welcome to Ag Future, Jack. Thank you for having me. And when we spoke with you in June, you were noticing an acceleration in online purchases of foods and other goods. Let's start with that. What has happened in that sector since June? Well, uh, a lot is happening. Uh, one thing is just, you know, the numbers continue to go up. Uh, we've got about a 200% increase in shopping over that time. And one thing that's uh, interesting is that we're not nearly seeing as much loyalty, though, in the online shopping as we do to the bricks and mortar store. So I think that's a bit of a surprise that, uh, you know, consumers are much more willing to try, you know, two or three or four different online stores, whereas normally we have sort of one store that we go back to, uh, you know, time and again, our local store. I've also heard, I'm just throwing this in, but I've also heard that there is a problem now with returns through the mail and through FedEx and UPS, something, a phenomenon that wasn't happening before because people were taking them back to brick and mortars. Are you hearing about that? Yes, I, I think, you know, that's definitely an issue. And, you know, there, there are a few issues, though. I mean, that, that's one, and that's an important one, and it can contribute to waste. But, of course, you know, all of this home delivery is just adding to uh, the package waste, you know, that's becoming just an enormous problem. And one thing that's, uh, you know, a bit of a distinction is that uh, companies like Instacart, where they're actually making local purchases and bringing it to the home, have, you know, been uh, gotten about a 50% increase over consumer loyalty over those that are, um, you know, purely online. And I think that addresses a little bit of that issue. You know, when somebody is actually going to your local grocery store and picking it out, that's one thing. But when somebody's sending it across the internet, you know, that, that feels like uh, somebody didn't really take as much care to get it to you. Right. And we're learning a new uh, etiquette, a new discipline in working with our Instacart shoppers. It's, it's uh, been kind of interesting. It is. People are learning lots of lessons that they didn't <laughs> expect to at this age. Well, at the time, uh, back in June again, when we spoke with you uh, before, you noted that due to the pandemic, we had just compressed five to 10 years of growth in online food purchases into just a couple of months. And uh, at that time, you predicted that this would have a long-term impact. Would you say that online food shopping is here to stay? Well, the numbers are pretty good. Uh, surveys that have asked people that are currently doing online shopping, you know, whether it's something they intend to stick with, and about 90% of online shoppers today think that they will continue to make those purchases online long after the pandemic has passed. There's been a big shift from uh, most people dining outside of the home to most everybody now eating their food at home. And this is going to continue for some time. What are the implications of that? Well, you know, some people today are getting a little bit tired of eating the same thing over and over again. 
and are finally accepting the need that they might need to learn to cook as well. So one thing that I've noticed is sort of an explosion in online cooking classes. You know, people are trying to either learn some new skills or learn those skills for the very first time. And I think, you know, that's going to be a good thing uh, long after this because people feel more comfortable in the kitchen. Um, but other things that are coming out of this are, you know, that restaurants are trying to get in on the game as well because people aren't coming into the restaurant, but they want to be able to connect with people at home. And this has led to a lot of restaurants creating sort of a dining experience in the home so that they're packaging up their products in a way that um, can then be served at home. So you feel a little bit more like you're getting that dining experience than you would from just getting a meal kit. And what I think is interesting is that, you know, if it hadn't, if COVID hadn't happened, you know, most restaurants would not be getting out of the box. They would not be trying to explore new paths and new models to, to reach the consumer. Uh, they would have just continued to do things the way they had been doing it forever. And so this has really shaken up the uh, restaurant world. And, you know, those are changes that are going to stick. Some of them will. Um, but I think that, you know, we're going to find that uh, some of them that are able to do it better are going to thrive because of this. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the smaller players, you know, it's just going to be uh, very challenging for them. And I think we'll continue to see a lot of uh, small restaurants going out of business. It's going to be interesting to see what business model emerges from this pandemic and has staying power after that uh, after that happens. Earlier this year, you were talking to people about panic buying and retail therapy and then food production squeezes and shortages. So looking forward, what are the long-term implications to our food supply and how we produce food that are going to come out of this pandemic experience? Well, I think the first thing is just to uh, be proud of the fact that our supply chain responded as well as it did to the pandemic. Uh, there were a lot of predictions that, you know, we were going to run out of food, that animal protein was going to be in short supply, that, you know, people were going to be rationing. And, you know, no, none of those things really came to pass. And I think that that is to the credit of the companies in the supply chain, the food companies, the farmers and others who all stepped up uh, to avoid the really serious disruptions that could have taken place. Now, Absolutely, there were some disruptions of the supply chain, um, but you know, given the magnitude of the problem that we faced, um, things you know certainly went better than they might have. Other things, though, to think about is that you know the United States is gearing up for a stimulus package that is about nine hundred billion dollars, nearly a trillion, and this is going to provide a lifeline to many people uh, in the near term, but. In the longer term, you know, that money is going to run out as well. And there are a lot of people that are in a very precarious situation today. A lot of uh, renters who have not been paying their rent, uh, mortgage owners who have not been paying. And at some point, you know, those bills are going to come due. And so as well as things have worked so far, I think we're going to see people being squeezed far more on the consumer side than on the food production side, but when people don't have any money, that tends to have an impact on the entire supply chain. How is the consumer mindset being changed, and where do you think it's going in regards to food trends? Is, is the way people think about food actually changing? Well, um, I believe last time we talked, I talked about how 
uncertainty over jobs, uncertainty over the pandemic, all of those things tend to make people more cautious. And when people become more cautious, they become more frugal, more careful in how they spend their money. And I think we're definitely seeing a lot of that. And so I think that those kinds of trends are not things that, you know, people get over quickly. Uh, they tend to be lasting effects and that, one, people are going to be short of cash for a long time, but two, the mental repercussions of that are going to last much, much longer. Again, when we talked earlier in the year, it was then way too early in this crisis to make any definitive statements about how it would impact people across demographic spectrum. But let's look at Generation Z, 18 to 23-year-olds that are coming into life with uh, possibility before them, a lot of hope, and suddenly that's all gone on hold. What, what does the future have in store for that age group? Yeah, well, this is definitely the group that is going to be hit the hardest and where the impacts are going to last a lifetime. Uh, my daughter started college this fall, um, but she started from her bedroom. I can tell you she much would have preferred to uh, have been on a college campus. Uh, but more than that, the students that are graduating last year and over the next few years, they'll be graduating into the worst economic climate since the Great Depression. And we know that people that lived through the Great Depression, you know, that impacted how they think about money, how they think about food, how they think about, you know, expenses for their entire lives. And so, I think we know for sure that those that are in that age group, group that you mentioned will have really lasting effects on you know how they think about everything. And so we, we shouldn't be surprised if uh, they come out of this being more cautious, more careful, more prudent uh, in how they spend their money. Um, but it's also going to have an impact on, you know, their earning potential for their entire lives because, you know, the first few jobs you have put you on the trajectory for retirement. And so, you know, they're going to be starting, you know, really several years behind. And those are things you really just can't make up. What would you say has COVID-19 revealed about the ways that we get the right food to the right people at the right price? What have what these disruptions shown us about our food systems? Well, uh, on one hand, our food system is resilient, um, but it can be disrupted. And these disruptions can have broad, even global repercussions. Uh, some of those are going to be in the short term, but some of those will ripple uh, throughout the years. Um, I think the system is uh, better if countries resist the urge to limit exports and to protect their citizens, because we have, uh, we have seen little where uh, countries have been blocking exports, but, you know, where we do, you know, those are, are really potential to disrupt global trade. And it makes everybody nervous. And fortunately, the few times that that happened over the last six months um, have not grown and become a global problem. In many ways, that was the problem we saw back in the 2008-2009 uh, global recession. So, you know, this is not a short-term problem. Uh, we'll probably lose a decade of progress towards things like reducing global hunger. Uh, that's, you know, very unfortunate. You know, we had been making decades of progress at reducing hunger and poverty. Uh, those trends are going to continue, uh, are going to be reversed uh, for years to come. And so, you know, one of the challenges in 2021 is that we're going to have, you know, tens of millions of new people who are going to fall into poverty and hunger 
some of them for the very first time. And so at a moment where many governments are struggling to take care of their own people, we're going to have uh, people all around the world that are going to be in greater need. And so it's going to be a challenge to see whether or not countries can uh, take care of their own, but also recognize that there's a global need that needs to be addressed as well. Well, Jack, you touched on this next question a little bit earlier, but I'd like to expand on it if I could. Uh, Again, in June, I asked who you saw coming out of the pandemic as winners and losers. And you singled out online purchasing as a big winner, but restaurants and small businesses in real trouble. What is your assessment now of sectors that will emerge strong versus those that will either not survive or will come out of this somehow transformed? Well, you know, one thing I think is interesting is that the importance of farming and food production has never been clearer. And I think that's really important because I think for too long, many consumers had taken food production for granted. Um, Now, this is both a blessing and a curse for consumers to care about what it is that you do, uh, because when people care about things, they they begin to want policy changes in order to um, make things better. And Sometimes those policy changes do, in fact, improve the situation, but, you know, there's also a risk that they'll make things worse. And, you know, I don't think we quite know how that's going to play out. But, you know, just one example is that, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about how we need to uh, go back to a time when there are greater inventory uh, so that we don't run into the shortages we did at the beginning of the pandemic. But I think people forget that, you know, those by cutting down on inventory, what we did was we reduced cost. Now, it was at the the cost of having and in, not having inventory is that you know you're more at risk. But eliminating eliminating inventory also uh, reduces cost and the price to the consumer. And so you know there are trade offs. So if we have inventory, we're better prepared for a pandemic. But you know those who are worried about the cost of their food may be disadvantaged. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges we're going to have is how do we balance the need to fix some of the problems that we identified without creating new problems that, you know, we'll have to live with. Now, in terms of winners and losers, we already talked about uh, online purchasing as a winner. Uh, We talked about restaurants. Uh, Many of them are going to come out of this much, much weaker. Uh, There will likely be some that benefit from it, but I think there's going to be a reassessment of the role of dining out in our lives. And, you know, that's something that restaurants are going to have to, you know, figure out how they can play a more intimate role uh, in the lives of consumers. And I think that uh, food companies also are going to have to evaluate, you know, where they are and what their relationship is to the consumer. Uh, some of the winners are the the larger big food companies that had been really struggling, uh, to be honest, over the last couple of decades uh, to get the attention of the consumer. Uh, these days, consumers, you know, are more interested in that comfort and are turning back to the brands that they grew up with. And so I think that, you know, they're going to come out of this much stronger and that's going to be a benefit to them for a long time to come. Well, change is a given. It's like background noise. It's always there. It's always occurring. But right now, we're we're going through some monumental changes. And I wonder about your thoughts, if it's possible to form some thoughts about the market implications of the changes that are underway in Washington. 
Yes. Well, I think that, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of changes taking place. Um, you know, I think that there were uh, some that were worried about what the market would, implications would be of changing from a Republican to a Democratic administration. And uh, I think the the stock market, at least, uh, has not been concerned about the change. So I think uh, there will be a continuation of uh, positive growth there. Uh, but I, I expect that there will be some changes in terms of how a new administration looks at things like climate change and uh, environmental issues and sustainability and health and nutrition. And so I, I think we'll see a change in focus on priorities. Um, but I don't think that we'll see such dramatic impacts that, uh, you know, it's something that people would or companies or industries would need to be worried about. Uh, hopefully there's an opportunity for uh, companies that are already interested in addressing sustainability issues to partner with a new administration in order to accelerate some of the things they're trying to do. Futurist and Futurity CEO Jack Bobo. Thanks so much for the conversation, Jack. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. To hear other conversations with many of the featured speakers at one, the All Tech Ideas Conference, visit ideas.alltech.com. Access is free after signing up.